0: Jack Dorsey, the man who gave us Twitter, a digital conspiracy to keep us distracted from achieving greatness, eats as much in a week as I do in 24 hours. One square meal a day for five days, followed by wild weekends spent ODing on water. It's crazy how much his lifestyle mimics that of a poor farmer, minus his bathing routine that's more complicated than Cleopatra's. He alternates between a mini sauna and an ice bath every few minutes till the Bay Area runs out of water. Like any average below-poverty-line Indian, the not-so-poor Jack Dorsey walks 5 miles to and from work and toils under the searing heat. Only in his case, it's an infrared light bulb which makes him sweat and cleanses his body of toxins. It appears Dorsey's kidneys and liver are just too posh to do their normal jobs. Look, I'm all for Jack D's love for deprivation to keep himself sharp and focused. But imagine a world where eating becomes something that we only do occasionally. As a foodie who spends a chunk of my time either thinking of the meal I've just had or the meal I'm about to have or fantasizing about a dish that I should be having, this is completely unacceptable. God forbid if this trend catches on like wildfire, my life will become as bland as hospital food. Right now, my life is drizzled liberally with the extraordinary. Like any new age foodie, I'm a simmering hot pot of many talents, a whiff of gastronomy, a sprinkling of a chef extraordinaire, a prime cut of a food critic, served with fine juliennes of a photographer. Like any culinaire, I spend considerable time and resources acquiring hand-plucked veggies, eggs that went to Oxford, and a lamb that was baptised at Notre Dame for that Insta-worthy end product. My plating is so stunningly beautiful, it deserves to be on the walls of the Louvre. Don't even get me started on my taste buds, that have such a high emotional quotient. They can feel the butter-laden, cognac-kissed suavity in the pumpkin soup, and shed tears of ecstasy as I bite into a juicy, succulent, rollicking with flavours tungdi kebab. But what's the point of consuming so much fabulousness if I've not documented it for posterity? So I pick the toughest words from the dictionary and string them together to make sentences that make no sense, to chronicle my dinner at the newest fine dine that serves their dishes on dog plates, and then proudly cite my own Zomato reviews to call myself a food critic. The ethereal luminescence of an Atlantic scallop quivering atop a layer of luscious legumes with a dainty sprinkling of Dead Sea salt. Jack and his tech pro's love for starvation poses a serious threat to the world's number one pastime, eating. Especially after they've given it a cool spin and rebranded it as biohacking, a convenient masculine way to make extreme dieting acceptable. But I digress. Do they even care to know that our passion not only brings us together, it helps us assert our superiority over others? Just the other day, I invited a neighbour over for lunch. She refused to leave till she had described in great detail all the Michelin-starred meals she'd had since 1967. Our coolness quotient skyrockets to Mars when we say, can I interest you in pureed nut bread with grape relish reduction paired with brioche instead of just peanut butter jelly sandwich? When I land in New York, MoMA, Met and Guggenheim can wait until I have found out for myself if the Jalmuri at Greenwich that my favourite food influencer can't stop raving about is really the best. My love for the extraordinary gives me a sense of purpose. It makes me feel special, even though my bag of accomplishments is about as full of air as the sourdough I'm about to have. Thanks to my constant craving, I can exchange life stories with my swiggy delivery guy who spends most of his time outside my door with a new treat that'll jack up my happiness index. My chest inflates with pride, knowing my obsession for the unusual has given birth to the industry of bullshittery. Cake conceptualizer. Culinaire extraordinaire high on meth, Mithai craftsman, and how to make plain old puri chole sound super exotic fiction writer. And lord, am I glad I'm not some batshit crazy billionaire high on raw water, who seeks its thrill by hanging upside down from a banyan tree in his quest for the higher truth. Why should I, when I can get it in an earthen pot layered with fragrant long rice enrobed in butter oil and succulent goat meat, smothered with hand-ground spices, topped with golden onion shards, cooked to perfection in its own steam. Thank you, but no thank you, Jack. I don't want to discover a post-food existence that'll free up my eating time for more important pursuits. What if I find out I have no other important pursuits? But I do want to thank Dorsey for making me realise how blessed I am to be rich enough to be able to order tuna tartare, but not rich enough to accept that money can't buy happiness. Unlike him, I won't be looking for it at vipassana camps in Myanmar and mosquito-infested swamps in Nicaragua. My purpose in life will always be to be fully fed, preferably at a fine dine run by a celebrity chef who combs his hair once every leap year and cuts his nails with a machete.